0: The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please. Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her triggered to transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's MindfulMamaMentor.com slash retreat. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 328, the five best episodes from 2021. Woo! kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. Or if you're new, well, a big welcome because this is such a cool special episode. So we have in the last couple of years put together a best of episode and it's simply the best episodes from 2021. This podcast has been going a while. So we want to give you a little sampler appetizer plate of the five best episodes, the most downloaded episodes from 2021. And we're going to do them in reverse order from last to first. So I'm so excited for you to have this episode. And this is really a great episode to share with your friends who may want to check out this podcast and see if it is something for them and that you can learn from. So if you're that friend, hey, welcome. So glad you are here. Woot woot. So this is our end of the year episode. And now we get to dive into this awesome list of the five best episodes from 2021, and we are going to start with number five. Drum roll, please. Number five is episode 282, Help Kids with Self-Regulation, with the awesome guest, win kinder and her 30 years of teaching includes 16 years of mindfulness and trauma-informed strategies through wellness works in schools she's authored curricula go noodle content the reset process calm and i am i can as well as graduate courses for educators and she is a master at helping your kids regulate their feelings and What you're gonna hear about is a piece of a larger conversation and hearing about matching kids' emotions to make them feel seen and heard and the power of that, so, so cool. So join me at the table as I talk to Win Kinder.
1: Regulation is really a big thing because if we can regulate our emotions, if we can regulate our nervous systems based on what's going on around us, we are going to feel safer, feel more comfortable and be able to heal. Right. And, and so I, I love now doing opposites. So I just play with opposites because part of regulation is, is you know, fast is, is bad. Loud is bad. Big is bad. You know, we, we label them. Busy is bad. Scattered is, you know, but if we can actually just play with opposites and get comfortable with busy, and get comfortable with calm, and shift between the two, then, you know, it's not terribly popular in a kindergarten classroom. Let's be loud. And we do loud stuff. We stomp, you know, and then we tap really quiet. And then we move really, really fast. We shake our hands, shake our hands, shake our hands, and we feel what that's like. And then we slow down because the opposite of fast is slow and so we have all these opposites and i find that i'm doing that with adults as well because when you get comfortable with calm and busy and you get comfortable with loud and quiet you can actually then start to work with emotions regulating emotions mm-hmm. and one of my favorites is just up and down because if you if you reach up there's energy so your energy is up And you're using your breath to reach, and your breath is fuel, and you reach, 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 reach.
0: I'm reaching with wind here. Okay, reaching,
1: reach, 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 and you fill with air, and then knowing that you can bring that down, and you breathe out, and you fold down, and your fingers go toward the floor, and your body is rounded, and you're breathing out all the way. You know that you can go from up, and maybe excited, maybe too excited to bring it down that you get to be in control and you can regulate all the way down. And then what's interesting is that kids will say, well, down emotions would be sad, tired, alone. Yeah. And that's, and that's okay. All of those are okay. It's just like when you're folded down, you know that you're going to get up again. Mm -hmm. It's going to, when you're done with down, and I often will leave a, a class, okay, just stay there until you're done. What's interesting is how many want to just stay there. Hmm. But everybody within a couple of moments will start, oh, okay, now I'm done with down and now I'm going to go up again. And you you do, you start to help them embody these opposites. And I play with opposites and I'm working with, um, there's a, a new thing called a Tony box. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. You're going to want to look that up. And I'm not product advertising. I'm I'm not at all, (laughs) but (laughs) it's an audio um, system. It's a little Mm -hmm. speaker. It's a smart speaker for kids and it's just audio, but we're actually helping. We're working through scripts and things that help kids go up, go down, be busy, be calm, be loud be quiet and that that comfort with the lack of judgment it's not always good to be quiet it's not always good to be calm it doesn't always fit who we are and what we need in the moment and so I love this normalizing of and accepting of the regulating you know so that's that's been fun to actually work with those that might be something you want to you want to look into (laughs) They're big but, in they're big in Europe and they're coming to the United States.
0: Well, I'll have to tell my uh, my sponsor <laughs> people tell them to find these people for this episode. No, yeah. um yeah, and I, I love the what you're saying about these opposites because we have such an emphasis, you know what you're what you're inviting is this non-judgment, this acceptance, and like becoming more of a um a master of what's going on in your body, like developing that strength and that ability to self-regulate. But, but also like as parents, I know a lot of us are really interested in like, let's down-regulate these kids. Let's, let's calm them down. And we may be inadvertently like giving the message that there's something wrong with you for, you for being up, right? Like kids with ADHD, I'm s- certain, I, certain get that message that there's something wrong with you for, you, you know, know, that's pretty clear they're getting a message. There's something wrong with you for having all this energy. And and I think maybe hidden in here is also an invitation to parents to get comfortable with up as well as get comfortable with down. Get comfortable with busy as well as, as slow. Get comfortable with loud as well as quiet. Although I know there's some people in the Mindful Parenting membership who wear some uh, little earplugs so, so quietly sometimes while their kids are in the house. But nope. maybe that helps them get comfortable with loud. Absolutely. But is that what you're saying here, Wynn?
1: Yeah. Um, and I think that the one of the things, so mindfulness is about attention, I think is me defining it, attention and awareness. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that I think is, is a challenge for anyone trying to guide, shape, or even adjust behavior um, is that you have to be aware. You have to read the room,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: So if the kids are being loud, let's just use that as an example. And I could talk about a, a classroom of third graders. Let's, say 31 third graders and you just walk in and it's like, whoa, loud or a family and a couple kids playing loud, right? If you don't show them that you feel them, that you see them, that you hear them Mm -hmm. and you try to go in quiet and you're like, I'm going to whisper until your shouting stops. You're not recognizing that, that you see them. Mm. they are going to want to feel felt and heard. And so the loud group, the ones that are really feeling like, oh, this loudness will never stop. How do I manage this? How do I help them? How do I meet them where they are? Well, you got to meet them where they are. So you come in and not matching let's see, not matching the language because you walk into a high school class, you don't want to match their language. <laughs> Do you want to match their intensity hmm. or at least their emotional level? So you come in and you go, it's sunny outside. How about that? And you're you're standing and you're big and, you're like, and you guys can feel it. It is so sunny and bright. And you start naming things that are going on and they'll start Oh, it is sunny outside, right? But you're le- matching what they are experiencing. And so it's the same with even movement. If kids are moving fast, then you move fast as you encounter them. You're like, "Wow, I can move faster than you. How about that? How about that? How about that? <laughs> now move slower. Can you move like you're in water? Oh yeah, I can do that. Let's go fast again. So you're just noticing that they need something, that they're, you know, loud or fast, you match it for just a moment. Match and raise and match and lower is just kind of the the term. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to match and lower their volume, you got to meet them where they are and then take them where you want them to go. And that's an awareness. You got to read the room, not necessarily join the party, but yeah, oh my gosh, it's, look, it's so loud in here. I used to say that in my classroom and they would all just stop and go, oh, yeah, I guess it is (laughs) loud. Wow. Okay. The other piece is you get the the down, the kids who are stuck in down, Mm. the depression that's I think global now, right? Yeah. Um, so they're stuck in down and and again I can walk into a classroom or into my kids bedroom down right and here's just an example for my 16 year old I walk in and he's just uh, no not getting up not even picking up his head and not speaking oh wow I go and I lay on his floor not on his bed I don't join him necessarily but I lay on his floor mm. and in about mm, 10 15 seconds I see him look over, like, what are you doing on my floor? The minute he starts speaking, I'll speak at whatever level he is. Oh, I'm just hanging out on the floor. You know, it's really dark in here, and that ceiling has a stain. Did you notice that? And I get my kid to look up and go, you know, that stain's been there forever. Now the rational brain is coming online because it it wasn't going to respond to me coming in and yelling, You're late. It wasn't going to respond to me standing over top being the authority. Instead I just lay <laughs> laid on the floor. And now we're having a conversation. I'm like, you gonna shower before you go to school? No, I'm not. All right. Because there's a towel down here on the floor too. There's a lot of creepy stuff under your bed. I'm gonna get up and make my breakfast. Join me when you're ready. I've felt him. I've mm-hmm. seen him, I've heard him. I don't yell. I mean there are times when I might yell, mm-hmm. you know, but I in general, if he's quiet, I'm quiet. If mm-hmm. he's low, I'm low. But I meet him there, and then I get up. And now I'm not hovering over. I simply matched, and now I'm raising. And that's mm-hmm. emotionally, energy-wise, nervous system-wise. And so I, I do that with any classroom, any even group on Zoom. I work with a lot of kids on Zoom. You know, you see the ceiling fans. Their video is on. Yay. They're in their class. But all I see is their ceiling fans. So I have them vote by putting their hand up into where I can see them. I'm like, okay, vanilla or chocolate. And they're all droopy and they're drowsy, but they're going to vote. When they're okay, chocolate—an important choice like that, you have it, to weigh in. Yes, and you go with <laughs> hypotheticals. You know, salty or sweet, and you see these little hands go. <laughs> you know, they don't have to put their heads in yet; they're not ready for that. But then, eventually, I'll just say, "I'm tilting my head, doing TikTok." Can I see the top of your head doing that? I don't demand it. It has to be choice based, no matter what we do and what we encourage. Choice based, but. Meet them where they are.
0: Meet them where Where they they
1: are. are. Set high expectations of this is where we'll get to, but I'll meet you where you are. So it's match and raise and match and lower. And it starts with read the room, figure out what's needed, and go from there.
0: You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too good to be true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, Project Verified, Gluten and Major Allergen Free, Certified B Corp, and Made Traceable. They select lower carbon packaging... They prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com slash Mindful for 25% off.
3: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck.
4: And now we're back.
0: I love this. I mean, the, the read the room piece and the the matching piece, it really is um, maybe it's, you know, it's, it's really taking this idea of acknowledgement, right? You know, we, I talk a lot about acknowledgement and mindful parenting and, and you take this idea of acknowledgement and you take it, you know, beyond verbal, you know, into physical, into tone into all of those different things and I really like that idea of matching and acknowledging as you know and 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 it really is that's like such a healing thing to to whether it's with your body language or your tone or whatever it is to say I see you and I hear you I'm not just going to come in and try to change you but I'm going to I acknowledge like this is this is what's going on with you right now this is where you are right now and I can see you that's really healing Wow, Kinder is great, right? That's so easily applicable and takeaway. You can just take it and use it right away. It's so amazing. Love, love, love that episode number 282. For the full episode, go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and check out number 282. The fourth most popular podcast, Mindful Mama podcast of 2021 was... The Science of Self-Care with Lisa Feldman Barrett, episode number 267. I was so chuffed to be able to get Lisa Feldman Barrett on the podcast because I am such a big fan of hers. She is a PhD professor of psychology and director of interdisciplinary effective science laboratory at Northeastern University, and she's the author of How Emotions Are Made, The Secret Life of the Brain, and Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, and she holds appointments at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital, and she's generally the world expert on emotions and the brain is really, really fascinating to talk to her. The larger conversation includes about how and why the brain works. And we're going to talk here about mindfulness and how it works in the brain. So applicable. So fascinating. I can't wait for you to dive in. Let's hear this conversation. So one of the tools I use is visualization. Like I invite people to like imagine they're like about to yell, they're getting, they're getting, they're feeling that arousal and then stay with it and not act on it or take a, imagine taking different actions. Is this kind of what you would do in a situation like that where you're feeling that and you're, you would just like practice this almost mentally the, the switching. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. So one thing that I used to do, and I should say,
5: you know, I did not come to this. I did not come to this view. This is not a natural view for me to hold. I would just say like, I, I, I'm i actually really quite a curmudgeon. And uh, as a scientist, I, even amongst my scientist friends, I'm very skeptical. So I don't believe anything until, you know, the data show me again and again and again and again. And I, I don't really trust my own experiences really useful for explaining anything. Um, that's just the hazards I think of being a scientist. Um, but, you know, the research showed again and again and again that the experience of awe is very, very useful. It really gives your, usually it gives your nervous system a bit of a break because for a minute you feel like a speck. And if you're a speck, all your problems are a speck. It just makes, it just takes big problems and makes them feel small for a minute. And I thought, okay, fine. The research shows that this is useful. So I'm gonna try it, I'm gonna try it. (laughs) But it's remarkable actually, it really is. At first it, it was hard to do. Um, but I practiced it every day for like five minutes. So I'd be walking on the street, I'd see, you know, an ugly, like dandelion poke out of like a crack of a sidewalk, you know, and I'd say, oh, this is an, this is an opportunity to experience the power of nature. You know, nature will not be contained by, you know, humanity's lame attempt to constrain it. And so I would try to take this dandelion and make it into a moment of awe that felt, as profound as looking at the stars or listening to a symphony of crickets at night or watching the, you know, uh, waves roll in. And after a while, I was able to do it really automatically, like just to switch into that mode because I'd practiced it quite a bit. And what mindfulness does, I mean, I'm not talking about mindfulness meditation here, but just mindfulness, right? So you remember that you know your brain is using past experiences that it can combine in novel ways to predict and explain the sense data from the world and from the body. And the situation that you're in right now launches the next set of predictions that your brain will make. So you if you want to predict differently in the moment one thing you can do is you can get up and move your body. Go some go to another situation and then you will be predicting differently hopefully if you're paying attention to the world. But let's say you can't. You you can actually figuratively change your environment by just paying attention to different features of your environment. Mm-hmm. So for example, one thing we do when we are when we do yoga is that we are paying attention to small sensory changes that are always there in our bodies, but that we normally don't pay attention to. Like if you're standing right now, there's a pressure that you can feel against the sole of your feet. Or if you're sitting right now, there's the pressure of the bottom of the chair against your legs or the back of the chair against your back. That, so sense data are there, they're available to be attended to, but usually they're in the background of attention, but you can bring them into the forefront of attention. And then they become the experiences that you're the raw material for the experiences that you're constructing. So you, you actually have quite a bit of, well, let's just say that you have more control. We all have moments where we feel like we have no control over what we feel, but we all have more control over what we experience and what we feel than we think we do. And the, Secret is to understand that control doesn't always mean changing what you feel in the moment. It can mean changing how you understand the meaning of what you feel, of what affect means, these sensations that give you affect. What do they mean in this situation? And if you practice enough, you can do it really automatically without very much effort whatsoever. The thing that's really hard to do is if you're running a body budgeting deficit and you feel like crap, you can, you can work with the meaning of what that is and what you should do about it. But turning down the dial on that crappy feeling is very, very hard because it's rooted in something really biological. I mean, everything you feel is rooted in something biological, but this is, you know, this is body budgeting. So.
0: Survival stuff. <laughs> it's
5: survival stuff. So, you know, um, but you can, but you can change the, the meaning of what, right. So when I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling really, um, you know, dragged out and I don't feel like I have the spoons to, you know, like just do what I need to do in a given day. The first question I ask myself is not what is wrong with my life or what is wrong with me. It is, did I get enough sleep last night? Did I exercise yesterday? Did I eat healthfully, right? I'm not trying to minimize the psychological meaning of things here. I'm just saying that underneath the psychological is this really basic physical stuff that we mostly don't pay attention to. And in fact, if we had to architect A lifestyle that would easily bankrupt a human body budget, it would be the one that we live in.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Zero physical exercise at this point during the pandemic, zero like social connections separate from other people. Yeah. No support if you have kids, small kids. And sure,
5: but also not enough sleep. And being on, you know, being on the computer is great, except you know it's great in the, the sense of we can talk to each other and have social connection but being on the computer too late you know there are there is there are frequencies of light that come from your computer that stimulate ganglia in your retina that tell your brain it, that it's daytime yeah. if you are looking at your computer screen at night you are basically serving yourself up a circadian rhythm disorder eventually and that will really screw with your body budget. And of course, none of these things happen like immediately. That's the other thing. It's that they are these like little pernicious taxes that we pay, they're they're so small in a given instant that we might not even notice, but they add up over time. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you have like water dripping on a metal pipe, it doesn't affect the pipe the first time, the 10th time, the hundredth time, but eventually that water, that dripping water is going to bore a hole through that steel. It's just going to take a long time. And that's exactly the way your metabolism works. That when you have a drag on your metabolism, when you're paying a little tax, because things aren't as efficient as they need to be when you're not sleeping properly, whatever the reason is, it adds up over time. And, um, And this is true for adults and it's really true for kids. So, you know, I mean, for kids, any kind of childhood adversity, if it's persistent, will increase the likelihood of illness in your children when they become uh, late adolescents and adults. It's just really, really, really important that people understand this
0: so what i'm hearing from you is to take care of us in a sense as the human animal and the child as the human animal not you know like that those those biological regulation pieces are really really big and important you're you're making me glad i was obsessive about my kids sleep when they were little. One last question I wanted to ask. There's so many questions I wanted to ask, but you you uh you mentioned in your uh in your article on um or your interview on resolutions that you were going to start knitting. Are you still knitting?
5: I am. Look at.
0: Good for you.
5: I'm knitting. Oh. Yeah. I practiced
0: and practiced
5: and practiced.
0: It's really much better than my first attempt at that.
5: And well, this is like my, not my first attempt. So oh, yeah. I, I knit a bunch of little, you know, swatches um, to, to sort of teach myself to knit. And then this is my first attempt at us. I'm, I'm going to make, I'm making a shawl. Um, oh, and uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So no, yes, I am. And I I knit every single day. And, uh, and I... You know, I do yoga every day and I actually exercise every day. And believe me when I tell you, I never would have predicted that those kinds of words would come out of my mouth. Like (laughs) exercise, yoga, and knitting, not three things I ever thought I would be doing in my life. My mother of course is just laughing her head off about knitting. Right. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you can find, you need to find the, the, uh, ways that you can, um, be nice to your body. Um, there, we don't have, a lot of people don't have a lot of options, but everybody has some option,
2: you know? No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values?
0: Well, I'll have to uh, have you come back on to talk about meditation because now I'm like dying to think um, think about that. but i'm I, I think that's amazing. And I love that your your how you shared your experience with that because I know to get to the place of being a you know director, of interdisciplinary uh, science lab and to work at Harvard Medical Medical and all do be like this incredible researcher, you had to work really hard and be a, quite an achiever, I imagine.
5: For sure, for sure. But I just want to say that, you know, I still like you, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I still have to drag my ass out of bed in the morning sometimes. (laughs) And I still have some days where, you know, I just don't feel like I can, you know, like I've just got the spoons to like make it through the day. And I still have days where, um, you know, where I'm not really sure, am I doing the right thing? Did I, should I, you know, I'm like everybody else, right? I mean, um, but I just try to remind myself that, um the most important thing, I mean, listen, if you, you know, sleep properly and um you know, eat healthily and you know, knit or whatever, you know, it's to, it, you could still be depressed, you could still bad things can still happen, right? It, but the point is that um, they're less likely to happen. If you find ways of just taking care of your body budget, it will let you, care for your children better. And, um, and it will also let you be a little more compassionate with yourself, which I think, you know, frankly, there's a lot of discussion about being more compassionate with each other. And I think that's important and we should be, but I also think it's important to be compassionate with yourself, especially for mothers, especially for mothers. And, um, and if you can do that, that is, I, I think, uh, you know, it sets you up for more success in your life, whatever that means to you.
0: I love Lisa's explanation of things. So definitely check out that full episode. It's number 267. Such a powerful episode. If you want to really know more about your brain and understand what's happening up there, it makes such a big difference. The third most popular episode from 2021 is Unconditional Parenting with Alfie Cohen from episode 259. And Alfie Cohen is the author of 14 books on education, parenting, and human behavior, including Unconditional Parenting and Punished by Rewards. And we talk about punishments and rewards in this episode, and what are the actual effects of punishments and rewards on kids. So just a note that the sound quality of this is not amazing, but the insights are. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Alfie Cohn.
6: Anytime you use any kind of punitive consequence, and the word consequence is just a euphemism, for punishment, for making children deliberately unhappy. What that teaches is power. You have the power, the other person doesn't. And someday this kid thinks I'm going to be the one with the power and I can make other people be unhappy to make them do what I want. And the other thing that punitive consequences teach um, is self-interest. So, the message of every punitive consequence, every you've lost dessert, you have to go to your room, you're grounded, you know, or again, even, even being yelled at, the message there is, I have to do what this person wants or I'm going to suffer. That child now has just been arrested in his or her moral development and is perhaps even more likely to hit the sibling if he thinks he can get away with it because the parent isn't looking. That's not a child who's diabolically clever and needs a more monitoring or even cleverer punishments. That's a child who is responding rationally to the use of punishments because that led the child to ask, what do they want me to do? And what happens to me if I don't do it? And now let me pause to say that the flip side of that, as I said before about the flip side of timeout is praise in terms of the conditionality. The flip side of punishment, do this or here's what I'm going to do to you, is reward of any kind. Do this and I'll, you'll get that. Rewards, even if they're not, if, whether they're verbal or they... You know, and it involves a sticker or a gold star or a dessert or at school, a good grade. This, too, teaches only self-interest. What do I have to do to get the goodie? And now if you say to a child, I'm so happy you are such a generous person. Look how you gave half your cupcake to your sister. I'm so proud of you. Good job. That child just became a little more selfish, a little less concerned about the well-being of her sister and more concerned about how I can manipulate the situation to get more of what I want. Rewards and punishments, carrots and sticks, bribes and threats, these are ways of doing things to children. And the alternative is to work with children. Now, what does that mean in a given situation? There's not going to be a one-size-fits-all if your child hits her sister or if your child does X, whether you happen to like it or not. Here's what you do. So my book, Unconditional Parenting, is not, and I will never write a book that says Here's the script when your kid does this you stand here and you say the following in this tone of voice that's disrespectful to you and your children but there, so there are all I can offer especially to people I've never met is broad guidelines or principles which I try to do in the book to think about what working with can mean how you can describe what you see your child doing and ask questions Questions that aren't loaded, where you're not sure what the answer will be. How you can help your child focus on the impact of her actions on other people, both when they've done things that are, that are mean, like hitting, and when they've done things that are sweet, like helping. The point is to help children construct a sense of themselves as caring people that will take and grow and flourish, even when you're not around. So step one is getting rid of what kills that focus on other people, namely all punishments and rewards. And step two, depending on the situation and the age of the child and all the other details, is some way of help of of collaborating with the child to help him or her grow into a a person who is genuinely concerned about others well-being.
0: Absolutely. I think you're pointing pointing very clearly to the fact that like not <clears throat> the the punishments and rewards n- not only do they lead to this you know maybe manipulative kids being more manipulative or not focusing on other people but they're actually just not that effective because then they're not when the punishment and reward isn't around then it's it, it's not working. It's not an inside out kind of thing. And so I love this description of like, let's join with the child. Let's understand, let's bring this, this curiosity, right? Like I teach mindfulness and we talk a lot about curiosity and so let's bring curiosity to what is really happening here, understanding the roots of the behavior. So then, you know, teaching maybe the skills and, and practice, whatever that child needs to learn to, to, Mm -hmm. to, To do a little better in that situation,
6: Um, you can the punishment or the reward. If the punishment is severe enough, or the reward is juicy enough, can buy one thing: temporary compliance at enormous cost. So, if I say, you know, you are not going to that party unless that room is 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 cleaned up within an hour, you know, you may get the room cleaned up if you. Think of it this way, horizontally, if you look forward, punishments and rewards don't get you something in the long run, only that temporary effect. But it's also interesting to look at it vertically you know, with a, a perpendicular arrow heading down. The problem with most advice you get that involves conditional parenting and the use of bribes and threats is that it focuses on behavior. My rule of thumb is the value of advice you get about parenting is inversely proportional to the number of times the advice contains the word behavior. (laughs) When you hear the word behavior a lot, you know there's something superficial about the understanding of of humans, um, of children that you're hearing or reading in a book or on a website or something like that. Behavior is focused only on the stuff on the surface that you can see and maybe measure. And um, once you've framed the problem this way, how do I get my child to behave in a certain way or stop with certain behaviors? It's only a matter of a few minutes until you're going to start hearing variations of bribes and threats as the suggestion that can extinguish or reinforce a behavior. But what we ought to be concerned about is what, what, what informs the behavior, the, the child's needs, motives, values, reasons. Every time you try to make a behavior appear or disappear, you're ignoring the child yeah. who engages in the behavior. And that for that, you need a working with, as I like to say, and not a doing to
0: amazing isn't it that we still use so many punishments and rewards in our culture knowing that what it actually does to kids really really fascinating so now you have the insight and this is a great little piece to share with others make sure you share it around let let people know about this episode because I think it pulls out some of the important pieces of his message which is is really powerful and insightful okay number two on the best of 2021 episodes of the Mindful Mama podcast is how to communicate more skillfully with your kids with dr jenny rosier episode number 264 and you know we were unknowingly and sometimes knowingly making some big communication mistakes with our kids right and these can cause resistance resentment they can damage our relationship right so how do we communicate better and you'll hear in this clip one of the mistakes that parents do so enjoy this segment from episode number 264 with dr jenny rosier What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see with parents in communicating with their kids?
4: I think (laughs) that's a big question. Um, There are lots of mistakes that parents make. (laughs) I think that one of them that I see in even my own life and in the lives of lots of my friends is that we frequently speak to children as if. They are fully capable of understanding what we're saying, emotionally reacting to what we're saying in a way that would be the emotional reactions of an adult, um, or behaving. We communicate with them in ways that we want them to behave in certain ways. And I just, I guess an example would be, you know, when you're telling your child to, get over something that you think is trivial. I think like minimizing their feelings is one of the main issues that people have. And I am totally guilty of it. Um, I have, I frequently, uh, talk about research, write about all of this great communication with parents and children. And then I go home and minimize my kids feelings. So I am (laughs) not in any way, shape or form, the perfect parent. Um, One time my daughter came home from school and she got off the school bus and she was 10 years old and she started just blubbering crying the second she got off the school bus. And I'm thinking that something like really terrible has happened. And I, you know, we drive back up to the house and I say, oh, come to my room. Let's have a private conversation. And you tell me everything that happened. And she's, you know, crying uncontrollably. She's like, today at school a boy pulled a chair out from under me when I reached up to get a marker. It was terrible. And I'm like, oh, wow, that is pretty bad. Like, that must have been so embarrassing when you fell on the ground. And she's like, well, I I didn't really fall on the ground. I'm like, wait, so what happened? And he, she goes, well, I, I leaned forward to get a marker and the boy pulled the chair out. And then I turned around and saw him. And then I just pulled my chair back and sat down. (laughs) Oh, hold on a minute. (laughs) Wait. so, So
0: let me get this straight. You're like trying to not smile. Oh, my God.
4: You are this upset about the potential for that you might have maybe gotten embarrassed from the thought of potentially falling on the ground. And she's like, yeah, it's terrible. Oh and in no. that moment, I wanted to say, oh my gosh, I have things to do. Can you please just suck it up and get over this? And because it was kind of a, it wasn't stressful for me. It wasn't a stressful situation where your child is crying and you're overwhelmed with stress. It was a almost comical. I was able to compose myself and realize her feelings are real. Her feelings are valid. She's allowed to have them. And to her, this is a really big deal. And it doesn't matter what I would think or what i would do in this situation or how how i would react to this this is about her and so i said that must have been really hard yeah that must have been really hard is it like it's the best thing to say that, yeah. and she continued to cry for like three more minutes and i hugged her and i told her that i was sorry that it happened to her and that it must have been really difficult and then she was okay but i mean it took minutes to something that to me was so silly it should she should have shouldn't have got upset about it to begin with mm-hmm. and so i think one of the main things that we do as parents especially with younger kids is we minimize their feelings or we trivialize their feelings and when we need to recognize that they're allowed to have their feelings and they're allowed to have their upset and they're allowed to react to things in whatever way they want because it's their experience and it's their feelings. And, you know, we ch- we wouldn't do that to an adult if, if your partner was crying uncontrollably to you. Um, hopefully, you wouldn't do that to him or her. And yeah, you say, might be
0: curious. Like, you'd be like, well, wow, honey, that was really that share incident, it was really upsetting to you. Like, I wonder what's going on, you know? Exactly. It would would invoke your curiosity and concern. You
4: wouldn't say, oh, come on. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Get over it. When your partner is like blubbering, you know? I mean, I think that we unfortunately do do that with our partners sometimes. We say, um, come on. But if they're visibly, physically upset about it, I think that we would hopefully try to bite our tongue. And
0: this is this is our 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 own training, our own habit, energy, our culture, our conditioning, all that stuff to to trivialize, trivialize other people's feelings. You know, that's just part of our culture to to put judgment on and to say you should you shouldn't have those feelings. And so, if those thoughts are coming up for you, dear listener, like that's pretty normal. They come up for all of us because we are all in the same suit sure. in, in in that case, you know.
4: Sure. Especially when we're dealing with small children. I mean, they cry about the most crazy things. I mean, really, especially, you know, little kids like toddlers and preschoolers and young elementary school kids. I mean, my son one time cried because a Pop-Tart had broken in half and he was then inedible and he cried like profusely about it. So I ate it. And then he cried even more because I ate (laughs) His inedible Pop-Tart. And to me, I'm like, is this happening? Is this real life? Are we really this upset about a broken Pop-Tart? What am I doing wrong as a mother? What am I? I'm not giving them any kind of, you know, resilience. What's happening? And I could you know, but I just hugged him and said, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry I did that. I realize this is upsetting you. And so that that desire to minimize, that desire to diminish is really strong in lots of us. And it's hard, hard habit to break. Yeah. And so
0: and I hope also what you're hearing from Jenny here, dear listeners, that like, none of this is your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Like, let's just stop spinning out the stories about ourselves or our kids and what they're going to be like in the future for these incidents. Like they're just allowed to have their feelings and kids have feelings about crazy stuff.
4: Yeah, and it has no bearing on you or your ability to be a parent. Kids, ha- I have four children. They are all very different. They all had their, um, I like to call it an emotional, emotionally unstable phase, and they all had that phase at different points and for different lengths of time, um, where they were just emotionally unstable about most things. You know, little things pushed them over the edge, yeah. and some of them... I mean, our middle child has been going through his emotionally unstable phase for, I don't know, we're going on four or five years now. It's ne- it doesn't seem to be ending. Um, and so <laughs> he is just really, he was the Pop-Tart kid. He's just unstable about little things, you know, um, doesn't know how to tie his shoes, doesn't want you to help him tie his shoes, but doesn't know how to tie his shoes and wants his shoes tied, but you can't help him, but he doesn't know how to tie his shoes. <laughs> oh crying God. uncontrollably about it.
0: Mm, I hope that conversation maybe sparked some aha's for you. Some reminders, perhaps, on great ways to you know communicate with our kids and have great relationships, you know, more intrinsically motivated relationships. So if you want to get that full episode or listen back or listen to it for the first time, it is episode number 264, How to Communicate More Skillfully with Your Kids. All right. Well, wow. Okay. So we've been through the five through four, five, four, three, two, and now we are down to number one. And this is an episode with myself, How to Be Less Reactive with hunter clark fields myself episode number 261 and in this episode i talk about how we are on autopilot mode or we're reactive right that's when we tend to be our worst with our parenting so when we have mindfulness practices in our lives we can pause that reactivity start to kind of take control a little bit more so we're going to talk about how to bring mindfulness into your life Without mindfulness practice in our lives, we're often making an unskillful choice in that moment or we're even becoming completely overrun by that stress response, that powerful stress response. And then instead of offering your child the thoughtful, empathetic response that actually might be beneficial in that moment, you're triggered and reactive. For me, this was always my problem and difficulty with what parenting coaches had to teach when I was really struggling because a lot of the advice is often just say this or just respond this way. And the truth is that we literally can't access those parts of the brain and we're, you know, offer our child those kind of responses when we're triggered and reactive. So this is really, really the foundational work that has to come first so that we can have those thoughtful responses. As we start to practice mindfulness, bringing our attention into the present moment with kindness and curiosity, then we can bring that awareness, kindness, and curiosity to our children, and we bypass a whole host of problems that arise with distraction. So mindfulness really helps us to lower our reactivity, and there's a whole bunch of research about this. The research shows that mindfulness helps us with impulse control helps to lower our anxiety, lower our de- depression, increases awareness, increases clear thinking, and what they've done—I've talked about the brain scans before, which are so fascinating. It, it really helps us to, we, you know, we have that stress response, and that's uh, there's uh, the the amygdala are these two little almond-shaped clusters in the base of your brainstem. They're kind of like the alarm bells of the brain that make us reactive. That stress response is preparing us to respond to a threat. So our heart rate increases, our muscles get tight, all those things. And we literally can't access our full brain, including prefrontal cortex, higher-order thinking skills when that, that stress response is happening, when the amygdala are clanging that alarm bell. And it's amazing that the research shows the MRI scans show that an eight-week practice of mindfulness actually shrinks the gray matter in the amygdala into that in that uh, stress response center of the brain. And it actually grows more dense the gray matter in the prefrontal cortex. And so that is the area that's, you know, the brain is a very complex and interconnected thing. But the prefrontal cortex is that area associated with like our higher order thinking, problem solving, empathy, verbal ability, all of that stuff that we need to be able to respond with kindness and curiosity and that beneficial response. So like I said, the research shows that mindfulness helps us with impulse control. And I really think that what it's really doing is that we're practicing being non-reactive. You know, as we sit in meditation, which we can, we're going to talk about more. You sit, and your stuff comes up, your anxieties come up, your thoughts come up, and you practice to not, to just not do, to stay still as all of these things arise. And so, the, it's really building a muscle of non-reactivity, and this is really, really key. You may ask, like, what is this doing? But it really is a key. It gives us this. Space, as we practice this non-reactive muscle, it gives us the space to then choose. You know, there's that quote from Viktor Frankl, who is the Holocaust survivor, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He said that between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. And that is really true. And that is what mindfulness gives us. And it literally changes the brain and all of those things. It's pretty amazing. And there's no negative side effects, right? So how do we practice? How do you do it? Well, what it is simply is like, and you can practice right now. You deliberately focus your attention on what is happening in the here and now. You're aiming to be more attentive to the present moment rather than distracted. You're not trying to stop thoughts or clear your mind. None of that. You're just practicing to notice what's going on moment to moment, within you and around you with kindness and curiosity. So let's think about how how do we do that, right? So I'll, I'll give you kind of a four-step process. <laughs> okay, so the first step, I just want you to set your intention to be present, right? Remember that mindfulness is the awareness that rises through paying attention on purpose, right? On purpose in the present moment. So the first step then is to choose to practice to be present. So you could be nursing a baby, right? And you could be nursing a baby and just kind of hanging out and, you know, maybe looking at the phone, your mind wandering, whatever. You may sometimes be present and sometimes be distracted, but there's no choice, right? To, To There's no intention set to be present. That's a real difference between like setting a timer for five minutes and saying I'm gonna use this five minutes to intentionally practice mindfulness to be present and non-judgmentally, right? So those, it's that, that intention really matters. So you have to choose to practice to be present. If you're home with your child, you can decide to intentionally practice presence. So you put the phone on silent. You set aside your to-do list. You give yourself over to nothing else to do except back practicing being present. And I really do think it's helpful to set a timer to give yourself 10 minutes, to decide, or five minutes or whatever, three minutes. Decide that for those minutes you practice, you're going to give your full attention to what is happening in this moment with yourself and your child. And so we can talk about how to put your atten- place your attention. but the, real, the idea with this first step is to simply to decide to set your intention to be present okay so then you set your intention you want to be present you're either there with your child or you're practicing to build that muscle on your own in a a non-distracting setting your next step is then to really focus your attention okay so if you are deciding to be present with your child then you're essentially doing a paying attention to my child meditation which is super cool right So then your child is the anchor for your attention. So essentially, you'll attempt to place your attention on your child with an attitude of kindness and curiosity. And this curiosity and kindness piece is really, really important. Allow yourself to see your child as if you were an alien beamed down into the space. Be curious about their body, their learning, their actions, Wonder what their needs are that are driving their choices. Notice the fuzz on their earlobe. Notice the shape of their hands. Be curious about what they are curious about. If you're focusing your attention and practicing maybe first thing in the morning before your child wakes up, you may set a timer for five minutes. You may use a guided meditation. I've got some on my resources page page at mindfulmamamentor.com, five-minute guided meditation. You may choose like uh, the sensation of feeling your breath or the sensation of sitting in your chair to notice. So we can practice that right now. So if you can, if you're able to, close your eyes for a moment and feel right below your nostrils – And feel the air come in your nostrils. Feel what it feels like. And then feel the air come out. And again, feel the air come in. And feel the air come out. And then feel your breath in your belly and your chest. And just be curious. What does it feel like? As you inhale. And as you exhale, what does it feel like? Like you're an alien beamed down into your body. What does it feel like? You know, for some of us, focusing on the breath is not that supportive to our, like, calm or peace. So maybe you can feel, like, uh, your hands. The, your, the, maybe you can feel what your hands are. T- you feel the sense of touch. You might feel warmth or coolness. I feel some tingling or pulsing or throbbing, as if you were an alien beam down into your body. What do your hands feel like, or even your bottom on the seat if you're sitting? So these are these are anchors in the present moment, and so it could be your child we talked about, it could be your breath, it could be your hands, and you're bringing curiosity to this moment and that is the s- step of step two, focusing your attention. So you take a moment to focus your attention. All right, you with me? Good. Let's move to step three, and step three is to notice your distraction. So if you're human, <laughs> a normal human being, as soon as you attempt to place your attention 100% fully on a single anchor, right, your, your, your child, your breath, you're going to find out that you will fail. Your mind will wander into thoughts of the future, thoughts of the past, critical thoughts. You know, look, she's dragged that chair into the the mud when I told her not to, um, blah, 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 judgments, all this stuff and more. That's going to happen whether your anchor of attention is your child or if you're totally by yourself, that you will you're you're gonna put your attention on your anchor and then your mind will will wander and that's not a problem okay this is not a problem it's just normal the mind thinks like the ears hear and we're not gonna stop that but what we're doing is instead like putting your attention back on the anchor okay so the thoughts are not a problem they are, in fact, an opportunity, actually. They are the opportunity to notice that you're distracted and with kindness and without judging yourself, you're returning your attention to, back to the anchor in the present moment. You know, and if you were like a weightlifter, maybe you are. I'd do some body pump. So this is when you're you're pulling that barbell up again. <laughs> Right. And just like lifting a weight, it's not lifting weights. It's not like a one and done thing. And that's why we call it a practice. And so your practice is just to notice your distraction with kindness and curiosity, bring your attention back to the present moment. No need for self-judgment or recrimination. We all, every single one of us fail at hundred percent full concentration. Part of the practice is to notice this and to practice self-kindness. So we all fail, but we have the capacity to strengthen our ability to be present. And that's why we repeat step two, focus your attention. And you continue until your timer goes off, right? So just be diligent, be compassionate with yourself. And if you want more information about how to bring mindfulness in your life, or dive deeper into this, of course. Get your copy of Raising Good Humans. It's in audiobook form, it's in paperback form, it's in Bulgarian, it's in Portuguese. <laughs> it's coming soon in some other languages. So you can dive deeper in that way, or maybe you're interested and this is going to be the year you choose to join the Mindful Parenting Membership and get the support you need. It's it's amazing. We provide 36 hours of live parent coaching every year, which is an enormous investment mostly for people and we bring that into the membership for for everybody along with all the the course, the bonuses, all these amazing things. So maybe this is your year for that. So if you want to learn more about that, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the wait list. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the wait list. All right, that's it. We did it. I'm doing my own drum roll. Woo. These are the top five episodes of 2021. I can't believe we're going into 2022 already. Are you like just, uh, what do they call that? Whiplashed? Like, I am like, like what? 2022? Oh my God. My daughter's going to turn 15 in a couple of months. Ay, ay, ay. So crazy. Anyway, I hope this Best Of episode has spoken to you, some parts of it. If you enjoyed it, please do share it. It makes all the difference in the world to me and my team when you share it with you and the people you know and from all of us, from my team. My team includes awesome Sam who does the sound editing and Chelsea who helps set up the interviews and Emma who helps set up the images and this whole behind the scenes team. We all thank you. (laughs) and me. I thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast by listening and sharing and subscribing, all of those things. And I just wish you the best, best, best of 2022s. Maybe this is going to be the best year ever, right? Let's just bring a little bit of that hopefulness into our lives. So I hope it is for you and me and everyone we know. And thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to talk to you again in 2022. Namaste.